I told her, I said, look, I got, I got a problem with dry goods. I'm very clear on that. You know, I, I'm ashamed of myself because I can't get out of bed in the morning. I'm, I'm spending all the money. I'm not raising this kid right. I was raised on values. I knew what I was doing was wrong, but I clearly knew it wasn't alcohol. It was just the dry goods. If you could just get me to stop the dry goods, I remembered saying, quote unquote, to this chick, I don't have a problem with booze. I've been drinking it all my life. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you are all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12 step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride. Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. From Studio A, deep in the heart of Texas, that was the voice of the one and only Miss Katie P that you heard at the beginning of this episode, this episode here, number 226, and you are going to hear so much more from Katie P in just a moment, but first things first, this episode is being brought to you by Laura and Tanya and Janice. Do you know what Laura and Tanya and Janice did? Well, let me fill you in, ladies and gents. They went to our website www.soberspeak.com they clicked on the little yellow donate tab and they made a a contribution so thank you so much laura and tanya and janice this episode right here number 226 is coming out right out to you and thank you so much for your generosity i john m just another bozo on the bus will indeed be the chairperson for this meeting between meetings. And I am truly honored and privileged to serve all of you listening in. So take a seat, if you will, around this virtual table and let's get started. And remember, no matter who you are or what your past looks like, you are welcome here. It is an open table to all. And we're so glad you have joined us. Just real quickly, I want to put out a little announcement uh, that something happened, something technical happened with my email 
over the past week. It, it, it's a very long story, and it has something to do with something I do not understand, something called MX files, and I had to get in touch with Google and do all this stuff. So nonetheless, uh, it went out this last week. So just in case you sent me some communication and uh, you didn't hear back from me or it came back undeliverable or something like that, that's what was going on. So I guess there's worse things that can happen in life. Uh, it was a little frustrating while it was going on, but we shall survive, as everyone knows. Now, on to Miss Katie P., part one. And some of you may be familiar with KDP. In fact, I bet a lot of you are who are going to be listening to this. And she's actually married to the spouse of Charlie P, who has been a regular on this podcast. Katie has been sober since 1984, and she lives in Austin, Texas. We discuss all kinds of things. She talks about her relationship with her father, her mother's early death, um, growing up in the 1960s in a small Texas community and what that was like, moving out of the house to be on her own at 16 years old, her 1968 Rambler. For those of you who remember, remember what a rambler is, uh, and we discuss much, much more. Now, remember, this is part one of KDP, so you will want to return next week for the second part of KD. I'll be releasing these uh, back to back. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, I present to you, Miss Katie P. Enjoy Katie, and we'll have plenty O listener feedback at the end of this episode. Okay, everybody. So today we are sitting here with Miss, and she's got a big smile on her face with Miss Katie P. So, Katie, I'm going to set it up a little bit more than that, but go ahead, introduce yourself, give your sobriety date, if you will, and tell people where you live in this great land of ours, please. Well, thanks, John. It's, it is an honor and privilege to be here. My name is Katie Parker. I am an alcoholic. Uh, I've been sober since October the 28th of 1984. Uh, I'm 63 years old. I came in when I was 26 years old. Uh, I live in Austin, Texas. I got sober in Austin, Texas. Uh, <clears throat> got very drunk in Austin, Texas. And um, just have uh, a lot of life experience to share uh, of what sobriety is all about and what getting closer to my creator is. So we have had uh, a lot of people are going to recognize the P part of your name. What I mean by that is we've had Charlie P on the podcast. Oh, probably five, six times, something of that nature. And he has been doing what I call a, a slow walk through the uh, big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And now we get his better half here. And I am, I am, I tell you what, I've been, as you know, we've been going back and forth and trying to get you on. And I'm so excited that you were here. Um, so you got so, so I, I didn't know that actually. So you got sober in Austin. I used to live in Austin for many years. I worked on my story there, if you will. I used to work yeah. off of Sixth Street. Mm -hmm. uh, I was a bartender down there. What, what year? Uh, well, this would have been so. 
I got sober in 1989. Uh, and so there was probably probably five years or so before that. So, you know, in the, the mid eighties, right oh, in that area. That's when I did all my drinking and it was all down on sixth street. Um, we may have read across each other. Uh, have you ever heard of the uh, bar called Toulouse down there? Oh, very much. Very much. So is that where you bartended? That's one of the places I bartended. But I mean, I bartended all over the city. I used to be at a place uh, in Northwest Austin. Oh, I, it was up at like Far West and Mopac, if you know that area. Well, that's uh, where we live. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Okay. There's like, there's, you know, Pelican's Wharf was a big hot spot. Jay Alfred's was a big hot spot. I mean, we had, it was back in the day when happy hour started out as get three, you know, buy one, get three. Then it was buy one, get five, right. we got all the way up to buy one, get 15. And I mean, you had 30 drinks sitting in front of you and it was just that rock gut booze. But I mean, it was sweet. I'll be darned. Yeah, so I, the chances are decent that we yeah. were in the same place. And I used to go out to uh, what's called the the Oasis a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, is that place still open out there? Oh, yeah. It burnt, it, it burnt down, but it, they rebuilt it, and it's still just fantastic. I mean, it's a great place to go, you know, drunk or sober. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. We had a few sober parties out there, but we did. Did you do um, Soap Creek? Uh, I don't remember. I don't remember oh, going there. That was the seventies. That was, you know, Delbert McClinton, you know, you could, yeah. you were six feet from him and clearly I was going to marry him and he had no idea who I was, <laughs> but, you know, the, the, the dreams we have. <laughs> and I remember I never ran across him, but Stevie Ray Vaughan, I think mm -hmm. his brother and all the people that he hang out with and stuff like that. I would you know, so see them every once in a while. That was at Steamboat Springs, which is where my best friend was the manager. And then another dear buddy of mine who's still sober, she just got her 31-year chip. She was the bartender. So we all drank together back in the day. And Stevie Ray was there. And I mean, it was it was incredible. It, we had so flipping much fun. It right. was fun till it wasn't. Well, that's it. And, you know, I, and every once in a while you hear somebody came into a, who comes into AA and they say, you know, I just, I just never had any fun drinking out there. And I'm like, man, you weren't doing it right. That's right. You, I don't know about you, but when somebody says, what do they say? My worst day uh, sober is still better than right. I'm like, what? Not me. <laughs> Not me. I'm telling you, I, I enjoyed it out there for a long, long time. And, and then it, then it quit. But right. trying to chase it and find it. And then I had a I had a kid, so that and I was a single mom, so the whole thing, the the wheels fell off so bad, you know. They just fell okay, off. Okay, so let's rewind here a little bit then. So <laughs> you did you grow up in Austin? No, I grew up in Houston and down in Freeport, Texas, down by the coast, Surfside, San Luis Pass, that area. <clears throat> and so but I grew up uh, in Houston in the 60s when, let me tell you, if you really wanted to live, live in Houston in the 60s, I mean, we were, you know, going to the concerts. Uh, my dad, I, my mom had died when I was young. Uh, she had a kidney disease. I was eight. My sister was 10. My brother was 12. My dad was an ex-NFL football player and a, an engineer for Union Carbide. And <clears throat> he remarried three times in 18 months. And we had four live-in housekeepers. I mean, it was, it was wow. crazy. So he wanted 
the the um, Houston Coliseum had bands. I mean, Grand Funk, Fog Fog had all the bands every week, and my dad would literally in the station wagon drop me off in the seventh grade at those concerts. And I mean, I was having the time of my life. I might meet my girlfriends. I might just meet new people. And I mean, it was it was just a different day and age. There were. You know, it wasn't unusual. It wasn't unusual at 16 to date somebody 22. You know, I mean, it just wasn't unusual. And, you know, nowadays, my God, it's, yeah, I don't even get me started, but it was what it was. So I have seen just about every band you could see for a whole whopping $4.50 and uh, just had a great time. Are you a classic rock kind of girl? Love it. Love yeah. Led Zeppelin. You know, they were they were my favorite. Led Zeppelin and Grand Funk were my favorites. I was Mark Farner and I were supposed to also get married. He he just didn't know that. <laughs> I was kind of like into the the Ted Nugent and Aerosmith and you know that kind of thing and, and Tom Petty and the whole nine yards. But yeah, I have so many fond memories of uh, of Austin. So okay, so in terms of your you know first. 16, 18 years, whatever you want to go through there. What are some significant milestones? Anything you want to say about your background growing up? Well, my dad was a real, he was an only child and my mother was an only child. So we had only grandparents. I didn't know what a cousin was. I didn't know what an uncle was. It just, you know, if you don't have them, you don't know. And maybe my brother and sister understood that, but I was the baby. And uh, when my mom died, it was in the 60s, you know, and it was a time when I, 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 the generation really 40 and under don't know this, but children were not allowed in the hospitals back in the day. You couldn't go in a hospital because of childhood illnesses and you could get people sick. So my mom clearly got sick and, and you know, it was 1967. And she went into the hospital and we're like, what's wrong with her? Where'd she go? And the next thing I know, my dad has us going in the hospital and little do I know we're saying goodbye to her. Little does my sister know. Now, my brother was picking up on it. He was 12, but we're walking down the corridors of the hospital. And I mean, you see the nurses where they had the little hat, the little white hat on, and they're looking at you just kind of covering their face, talking to somebody. And you're like, this is weird. What is going on? And we went in there and she's hooked up to all these machines and she looked little bitty in the bed. And, and, uh, I just remembered I wanted out of there. My sister wanted out of there and we go, we leave that night. And then the next morning, my dad comes in and sits down on the bed and says, you know, your mom died last night. Oh my and gosh. yeah, it was like a car wreck and it was a kidney disease. And, uh, believe it or not, Dr. DeBakey and Dr. Cooley worked on her. So if you're from Houston, those names ring a bell, <clears throat> and and I'll tie a cool story into that because it was in the 60s, right? It was mid-60s. And I'm up at Wilson House. Charlie and I were doing a big book workshop. And the secretary there was probably about 74. And I, she and I were talking and she was Dr. DeBakey's uh, secretary. And she said, I probably had at least your mother's paperwork in my hands at one time. Is that not wild? When wow. I mean, we just happened to, you know, mention Houston, and then I said the thing about my mom, and and I told her, I said, "How cool is that?" You know, I mean, it, you know, not that she met her, but that she would have been, you know, in the stream of that environment. But needless to say, after my mom died, 
my dad had remarried six weeks later. Okay. So once again, most people are like, whoa. But in that day and age, he needed a mother badly for his three children because he traveled to Pittsburgh every week from Monday to Friday because he was an engineer for Union Carbide. So we were in Houston and the U.S. steel plant was up in the Northeast. So then we, we, she lasted a weekend. There you go. And then my dad had to have a live-in housekeeper. So we had four live-in housekeepers and three mothers come through our house in an 18-month period. And, uh, and I always thought it was my dad. And now the older I get, I'm like, oh my God, it was clearly my brother and sister and I, we ran every person <laughs> off. We ran the housekeepers off. We were little, little bad little kids. I was going to say a bad word. We were bad little kids. I mean, we were like menaces, you know, we, we would, um, torment the, the housekeepers by scaring them and all kinds of stuff. But it's funny when you look back at it now, how all three of us handled that tragedy. Because my brother is clearly a hard drinker. I thought he was alcoholic, but I now that I really, really understand what it means to be alcoholic, he's a hard drinker. Uh, my sister is an Al-Anon that likes to get her drink on, uh, untreated Al-Anon that likes to get her drink on. And then I was the one with the genetic bullet that was the alcoholic. Uh, my dad probably was alcoholic, but once again, binge drinkers are always hard to figure out because given sufficient reason, it looks like they stop or moderate and then they go on a binge again. You know, now they get closer and closer, but I don't know, you know, some, when it comes to family, sometimes it's hard to really dot the I and figure it out if they're alcoholic or not because of the allergy and the mental obsession where you and I could talk and figure it out. And, uh, but so, yeah, so we were in Houston and Oh my God. I mean, we were, my sister was dating heroin addicts and, uh, my brother was, you know, shooting, uh, yellows. And I mean, it, it was a mess because the last woman my dad married who remained my stepmother for till she passed away, uh, in her eighties, uh, my dad and her had a romance like you wouldn't believe. I mean, they, loved each other so dearly, partied together, and they went down to the beach all the time and partied and left us three kids at home. And I mean, it was wild. It was a wild party. And we had all these guys coming over with, you know, uh, 45s and doing a ton of dope and all kinds of stuff. And it just seemed normal to me. You know what I mean? I liked it. I liked all of it. And my dad decided that he wanted to give it all up and move down to the beach and open a bar at Surfside, for God's sakes, of all things. So he gives up this incredible career, leaves before his pension, and um, we're living on the beach in what I called the bomb shelter. It was right in the middle of ass. I mean, it was horrible. So he took me and Liz only. And then all the other kids were old enough because now we're going into high school. All the other kids were older and they were gone. And uh, Liz and I, uh, we just, we ran into two girls that got their drink on and got their, got their other, you know, dry goods on. And we just partied our ass off. And I, I resented my father so badly for moving us down there. But today, and honestly, this goes out to everybody that thinks their parents did them wrong. And I'm not saying everybody doesn't have a story that their parents could have done better, but my dad moved us because we were all in the drug and alcohol world. And he put us at the end of the earth where there was no phone, 
nowhere to go, no nothing, and to a parent that looks like the solution. But we found the people. That's what we just gravitate to the ones that look like they're doing the stuff we want to do. And and I, I really wish I could have been better in my sobriety and my amends process with my father because he and I fought like cats and dogs. And I left home at 15 because he was so pissed off at me one time. And he said, if you can't live under the rules of this house, you can't live here. And I know he didn't mean that. And I thought I took it as hallelujah. It's a ticket out of here, man. And I mean, I called my boyfriend. He came and picked me up and away we went. And uh, I never went back, you know, and that's a whole story in itself with what everybody is a different day and age. The principal at school realized I wasn't living at home, yada, yada, yada. He said, I'll work with you, Kate. If you don't, if you start dropping out and bad grades, you can't, you can't do this. You're going to have to go back home. You know, he called me in his office. I lived in the principal's office in junior high in Houston. I lived in the principal's office up here, but in, in, in Freeport, but they, they loved me. I mean, he, he really loved me. I wasn't the kid that was constantly getting in trouble. I was the kid that was really hard to contain. You know what I mean? It's like, God dang it, Katie, I saw you over at the hospital. It was during fifth period. What were you doing out of school? That kind of stuff. You know what I mean? And it's like, well, <laughs> you know, so I, it, I got, I had so many people bend over backwards because they really liked me and they knew I was a kid that wanted, and I, I talked a woman into renting me a house when I was 16. Actually, I was 15. I was 15 years old. She rented me a little house for $62.50 right on the, the kind of the Bay Area where the shrimp boats parked. And and uh, she let me pay her $32.50 a uh, uh, um, every two weeks. And I went and knocked on doors and asked people if I could, you know, rake their leaves, move the bricks from one side of the yard to the other. I mean, anything I was washing and waxing cars because I just had to make a living and still go to school. Wow. And uh, yeah, so I graduated early. I cheated my way all the way through school. I, I learned to cheat in the second grade. <laughs> Got damn good at it. So I, I'm, I always say I, I don't know how to spell. I don't comprehend well, but I'm I'm an incredible businesswoman and I can make a lot of money. So, you know, I mean, it, it it's, you know, I always like to say I don't, I, I don't know where Venezuela is and I, I really don't care. You know, I mean, it's just one of those things. If people say, you know, I, it took me forever to understand what the UK meant. And I still don't even know if I have it right. So I'm not going to go down that road. But Charlie is just a big brain and he wants me to learn that stuff and I could care less. <laughs> and, and so that's a, that's a whole, a whole part of my life. But um, yeah, I, I uh, left home at 15 and it was pretty, pretty interesting run. We will be continuing our conversation with KDP in just a moment. Just a reminder, you are listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the World Wide Web at SoberSpeak.com. Uh, you can also find the donate button on our website, which you can use if and only if the spirit moves you to do such. Please keep in mind, this is a podcast funded by you, the listener. Sober Speak is a self-supporting organization through our own contributions. All right, so you... Have left home now at 15, 16, and you are living in principal's offices and such like that. So we have this period from 16. I know you said you got sober at 26. So take me on a 
walk through that period from 16 to 26? Well, I was, I left home, when I left home at 15, I was probably two or three months from turning 16, which means I was going to have a driver's license. So I worked my tail off to get uh, money, enough money to buy a $200 1968 Rambler, right? And I had this fantastic Rambler that was just great. The boys in auto mechanics worked on it. You know, I mean, it was, I had everything, everybody working for me. And back then at 16, you could get into bars pretty easily. You could actually get into bars at 15 because the drinking age was 18. So it wasn't too terribly difficult. And it was kind of, you know, the long hair hippie. So you kind of wore your hair, you know, just where your nose showed and your head down and hand them your fake ID. And so right. I went into the club 288 is, is, uh, if you know, South Texas, 288 is a big, big, long highway. And that was my favorite bar in the whole wide world. I'd go there every day. And I, I knew a ton of people. I always ran with people about four years older than me. So I'm running with all the seniors. And uh, I, there's this guy that's bugging the crap out of me, comes up and, uh, <laughs> He's bugging me and I'm trying to get away from him. So I'm, I'm making my way through a crowd of people and I trip and I fall into the lap of a guy sitting there and I look up at him and I'm thinking, oh my God, he, he looked like Cat Stevens. You know what I mean? I mean, I thought, wow, I don't know who that guy is. <laughs> oh my God. And I'm like, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. So I, I leave and come to find out he knew the buddies I was running with and he ended up calling me and keep in mind, this is all landlines, right? So he calls me at my house, which by the way, I had a phone, which is pretty darned impressive, right? I mean, I had gas, I had electric, <laughs> I had a stove put in, back door didn't shut or lock, but by golly, I had a phone. And, uh, <laughs> he, called me and he said, um, no, first he asked my buddy, uh, how old is she? And my buddy said, she's only, she's 16. And he goes, oh, forget it, forget it. And this guy was 24. And he goes, forget it. And he goes, but she lives by herself. She doesn't live at home. And he's like, what? And the next thing you know, his name is Robert. He called me and asked me out. And he's 24 and I'm 16. And I'm thinking, oh my God. And it was so flipping much fun. I mean, he lived with two other guys out on the river and we, we just partied like you wouldn't believe. It was really, really, really fun. You know what I mean? How, how that kind of drinking and, and outside goods. And um, lo and behold, he and I were together for eight years. It was not a short run. I'm, I'm kind of a one trick pony. I don't really like to date. I like to be with one guy. I like to stay committed. I like to grow old with you. It's always been my MO. I like that. And so we were together for eight years. And at 17, I graduated early <clears throat> and we moved up to Austin. Robert wanted his, Robert wanted to move to Austin. And um, he was also a merchant Marine and blah, 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 blah. And so we came up to Austin and, you know, it was just fabulous. We lived over uh, off of Avenue F. It was when Austin was really small. And um, we were there, we were together for eight years. And at four years together, uh, I got pregnant. And then we had my daughter, who's now 42, uh, and we got, we were married. We got married when, when I got pregnant, but we'd been together, you know, and, and it was, it was, it was rocky. Let's just put it that way. He, he was, he just, he just couldn't seem to get that you, 
you don't screw around. Okay. I can't, you know what I mean? I, I just couldn't get him to understand that. So when she was about two, I had had it. I was like, you know what? I'm not doing this. I'm not taking care of this kid while you're out there gallivanting all over the place. He was selling real estate and it just looked shady. Every time I'd look around, it looked shady. And I just, so I left him. And when I left him, everyone had eyes on me now. And so I'm up in Austin and eyes are on me and they're not liking that I'm drinking and I'm partying and I'm in the fitness business and I'm doing dry goods in all the places I can. And it was bad. And my stepmother's all over me about, you know, how I'm raising my daughter and, and everybody was accurate. No doubt about it. I mean, she, I never physically abused my daughter, but I definitely abused her with neglect. And that's why I, I just talk about pitiful, incomprehensible demoralization. It was, it was just sad. I didn't get out of bed to feed her. Uh, you know, she's three years old. She's got to figure out how to get food herself. I mean, it really is heartbreaking. As a matter of fact, she has my 15-year-old grandson and my 10-year-old granddaughter. And when Max was three, um, April called me. She was living up in the Pacific Northwest. And this is pretty painful. She said, uh, Mom, I'm, I'm doing some therapy and I, I just can't talk to you right now. I can't see you. I can't talk to you. And she goes, I'm just having some real flashbacks of when I looking at Max and thinking about my life. And I told her, I said, you know what, honey? And we are super close. And I said, I, I get it. You tell me what you need me to do when you need me to call. And of course, I called my sponsor and I'm just devastated that I can't fix it. You know, it, it's been so long, but it never occurred to me that once she had kids, that would set her off to realize what her childhood, because I, she was five when I got sober. And let me tell you, I was a wild child and uh, I still worked. I still, you know, I had her at a babysitter till four o'clock in the morning. I found a babysitter that did that. She took care of all the strippers, uh, kids. I was never in that world, never was going to be in that world. But you know what I mean? I found I, I'm always self-reliance didn't fail me. I always found a way out to get what I needed and to get through it. And then it just, I just got angrier and angrier because I had this kid and I had an ex-husband who was an idiot who moved to Houston and didn't want to help me. And I, the kid was with me all the time. And it was back when not everybody was say, having kids. You know what I mean? I mean, it was, I was like the only one with a kid and, and it was a real problem. And I, like I said, I got in the, I had a jazzercise franchise and had it for 30 years. And, and, you know, it was just a it was a lot of work and uh, I was very resentful. And my family <clears throat> is, we are hard-headed, opinionated, and strong-willed. And so <laughs> you can imagine bringing this sweet little girl. And, oh my God, I would just terrorize her by screaming, you know, just terrorize her. Oh. And, uh, uh, and she is not one of us. Let me tell you, that's, I mean, she is so clearly an Al-Anon and, um, and, and sometimes that just breaks my heart for her, but she's doing really, really well. Got a fabulous marriage, you know, really found a spiritual path, did Al-Anon for a while and loved it. And, you know, she's a great kid, great kid. Okay. So you, you're now, you're up to, uh, let me, so you said you got sober when she was 
when she was five, right? Right. So I'm 26. Okay. So what kind of, uh, what was your exposure to Alcoholics Anonymous? How did you find it? What was your last, you know, what was the straw that broke the camel's back? Well, it's interesting because <clears throat> I always ran with a lot of bands and I was friends with the bands. So I wasn't the girl that was the groupie roadie that put out for the bands, if you know what I mean. I, I liked the bands as friends. So I played volleyball with them and all of these things. And I, I always wanted that level of integrity that I'm not out just to, to sleep my way to wherever I got to get. Now, don't get me wrong. I could certainly do that, but I, I had my values, right? And so I'm invited to one of the biggest dry good parties in Austin <laughs> with the band Johnny D and the Rocket 88s. Oh, yeah. my God. oh, dear friends of mine. Love these guys. And this particular party, it wasn't that they had the dry goods, but the party was going to be full of it. And I am so excited. And it's Halloween. I'm dressed as Tina Turner. I'm all set to go. And <laughs> my, my buddy that lived in Houston that really wanted to grow old with me, but I had no interest in growing old with him. He was just kind of a roll in the hay buddy. He called me and he said, I'm, I'm coming up to Austin to, uh, to see a guy in AA named uh, Bob Earl. And I thought, AA? What? And he goes, yeah, I've been sober about eight months and I'm bringing a buddy of mine with me, but we can't find a hotel anywhere. You mind if we stay with you? And I thought, oh, I know where this is going. And I said, you know what? You guys can stay with my at my house, but I'm telling you, I'm going to this huge party, this Halloween party. So there you have it. Okay. Okay. So Tony comes and knocks on my door. And, and now keep in mind, it's the night before Halloween. He knocks on my door and I open the door and I go to hug him. I have this really cute little house and I go to hug him. And when I go to hug him, his buddy's standing behind him. And I look at this guy and I think, oh my God, that is my husband. I'm going to marry that man right there. Because remember, I always like to look at somebody and decide I was going to marry him. Right. If I if I married him, I'd be fixed. That's what the problem is. I just haven't found the right husband. And uh he had just a, a look that I just couldn't believe. And so these guys come in and, and I have a girl that's staying with me for about three months. I never had roommates ever. And uh, she was staying with me for three months. Her, her and her boyfriend were kind of on again, off again. And the next thing I know, I go out with these two guys. They're both in AA. And I don't really know what that means. They're talking about being sober. And I said, clarify what that means. I mean, do you just not drink alcohol, but you smoke pot? I mean, I... <laughs> Not, I, I really didn't get it. And I remember being dumbfounded by it. We go out, we go to the pistol range. I don't like shooting guns at that time. And I tell them, whatever you guys like, I love shooting guns. I mean, I'll do anything because <laughs> we're, we're chameleons. And so I have the time of my life with these guys. And then that night that we were going to go to Antone's and I think we were going to go see Bonnie Ray. Oh no, no, no. This was something else. Uh, we went and did something that night. And then the next night was the Halloween party. So the boys are supposed to, or they went to see Bob Earl. Then this night they were going to go see Bonnie Raitt. So I'm going to go to my big party. They're going to go see Bonnie Raitt. And the girl that's staying with me is now taking a liking to the guy that I'm supposed to think I'm marrying. So I don't <laughs> like that. I don't like that at all. 
And I'm thinking, if this chick wasn't here, both those boys would have my attention and I would be the center of attention. But I got my goddamn girlfriend here who's blowing the whole deal. And she is a, she's a knee walking drunk. And I was not a knee walking drunk. That brought way too much heat. If you're a woman and you are stumbling drunk, you got nine men just coming in on you. So I was, I had all my ducks in a row about that. And so I get in my car, I say bye to the boys. I look like a million bucks. I mean, in a black, hot black dress, my hair looks like Tina Turner (laughs) and I don't get one block and it's raining and my car breaks down because my car broke down always. And I run back. My hair's a little wet. It's not ruined yet. And Joe goes, let me go check it out. And so he runs to check it out and he comes back and he goes, Oh, Kate, you're not, you're not going anywhere, man. Your car's, your car's really shot. And I went, you have got to be kidding me. I mean, I'm missing the party of my life that I've been invited to and I'm so disappointed. And they say, Hey, come to Bonnie Rate with us. And I was like, great, come to Bonnie Rate." And so I go down there to Antone's. Do you remember Antone's? It was a yeah. real fabulous place. Yeah. Yeah. But so, I go to Antone's. Well, I'm nobody's dressed up in Halloween costumes at this point. You know, I'm I'm like looking like a hooker is what I look like. But <laughs> I go down there and Tony is all about wanting to, you know, hook up with me. And the other girl is basically sitting on Joe's lap and I'm pissed and I am not happy. And I the more I start drinking, I'm drinking, I'm drinking, and then I push a door at Antone's to think I'm going in another room and I end up out in the alley. And I'm like, how the hell did I get out here? So I, I walk all the way around the building and they won't let me back in. Oh, I don't have no. my purse. I don't have anything. And I'm like, <laughs> well, that's just great. So I'm getting angrier and angrier. And long story short, I am so pissed off that this chick is with Joe and I should be with Joe. I don't want to be with Tony. He's bugging the crap out of me. And I get in a huge fight with Tony. And then Joe is in the other room doing God knows what with the other chick. I mean, it is the, it is the eighties and <laughs> hell I'm sure it's going on today, but to, that was, <laughs> that's what we did back then. And so I sit in the bathroom and I told Tony, go, go to bed, go to bed. I just, I, you're bugging me. And I sit there <laughs> and I'm, I'm drinking and smoking cigarettes and flicking them in the bathtub. And I realize, Oh my God, you know what? I know how to get these guys attention. I'll tell them I want to go to AA. That's what I'll do. And keep in mind, I'm doing dry goods. So I am, I am amped up. And, uh, and so I go in and I wake Tony up and I said, Tony, hey, I think I have a drinking problem. And he looks at me and he goes, what? And I go, I think I have a drinking problem. And all of a sudden he jumps up. He goes, I'm going to go get Joe. And I thought, oh, this is working. This is working. And then he wakes Joe up and it's about two or three in the morning. Joe comes in and they do what they called 12 step me. Now I had no idea what it was. All I remembered is I finally got both their attention and that was good enough for me. Well, by six o'clock in the morning, because we talked for about four hours, six o'clock in the morning, I'm ready to try to lay down and go to bed. And of course I can't sleep. And the meeting was at nine o'clock and they're telling me, Oh no, 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 Katie, we got to go to the meeting. And I'm like, Oh no, 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 no. (laughs) Sorry. I, I'm really fine. I kind of got my knee met is what I'm thinking. And they're like, no, you're going to the meeting. And I thought, oh, for God's sakes. And I am a nervous wreck. And we go into Suburban. I'll never forget it. My sweet friend, Michelle uh, 
uh, Kazari is just, she's just my dearest friend. Now, uh, she was in the room and another girl was in the room and I had Tony on one side and Joe on the other. And keep in mind, my hair was gold, right? And it, it, it was like this way. It was just pressed to one side because it had so much hairspray in it. And I'll never forget. They said, is anybody new? And everybody just turned around and looked at me. And I thought, oh, I guess it must be obvious. And I stand up, which I have never seen anyone stand up to introduce <laughs> himself. And I just said, my name is Katie. And I thought, I'm not saying I'm alcoholic or nothing. You know, I'm just, my name is Katie. And I sat back down and Tony leans over and goes, Katie, before the meeting even, you know, got going, it, it, it was being introduced, but, it, you know, I didn't hear any shares. And he said, this girl wants to talk to you in the kitchen. And I thought, whatever. I, I got you both you guys on my side. I don't want to go anywhere. And he goes, go talk to her. And I'll be God dang this chick. I told her, I said, look, I got, I got a problem with dry goods. I'm very clear on that. You know, I, I'm ashamed of myself because I can't get out of bed in the morning. I'm, I'm spending all the money. I'm not raising this kid, right? I was raised on values. I knew what I was doing was wrong, but I clearly knew it wasn't alcohol. It was just the dry goods. If you could just get me to stop the dry goods, I remembered saying, quote unquote, to this chick, I don't have a problem with booze. I've been drinking it all my life. <laughs> Saying that now today, I thought that was a clear understanding to her, and uh, she gave me a, a first step experience that was remarkable, and and I couldn't believe it. I thought, oh my god, I've got an alcohol problem, and from that point on, I thought this is terrible. Well, Joe and Tony were best friends, and Joe was not going to step in the way of his friend. His friend really wanted to be with me. He really wanted to grow old with me. And I'm like, dude, I do not want to grow old with him. And so Joe and I were kind of flirting. And uh, <clears throat> Joe said, Katie, I can't. It's not right for me. Oh, oh, I know what it was. Joe was getting his six-year chip that day. And I didn't know what that yeah. meant. And he said, today's my six-year AA birthday. As a matter of fact, you and I will share the same sobriety date. And I mean, once again, this magical mind of mine never stopped with self-reliance. And I thought, if I stay sober for one year, he'll at least call me. I mean, that's pretty lame, but <laughs> God worked in many, many ways. And I thought, you know what? Uh, and he, they went back to Huntsville and Joe would call me and check on me every day and see how I was doing. And I'm still sober and I detoxed on the couch. That was miserable. Michelle took care of me. And long story short, I mean, I really believe that God brought me into AA probably five years before Child Protective Services would have, because they somebody would have started to see, they were already seeing April had some pretty serious neglect going. And uh, one time I sent, by accident, somebody knocked on the door and I threw my little dry goods packet in her lunch kit. Mm. And the school called me and said, there's a razor blade, a straw in her lunch kit. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, it was coming so close to getting in trouble and, and had child protective services gotten involved in my life, I would have gone to AA and, and I fell in love with the fellowship. So God, God organized everything for me to want to get there. Joe and I got together 19 days later, he came and moved in with me as he should. And we were married for 20 years. And so wow. it's, it's unbelievable. 
That is incredible. Okay, so Katie, here's what we're going to run into. I, I, I am so interested in this conversation, and I know there is more to it. Um, how about we do this? Will you come back some other time and talk about you and your journey after getting sober? Will you be up for that? I would love to. Okay, Katie. So what I always do is end this up with page 164 from the big book. And it says, abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the spirit. And you will surely meet some of us like me and Katie P. As you trudge the road of happy destiny, may God bless you and keep you until then. Thank you so much, Katie, and I'll look forward next time we get together. You bet, John. Thank you. KDP, that was absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much again. And for those of you listening at home, remember, we do not want you sharing your gossip, but we would love to have you share this episode with a friend or family member. It may be just what they need today. So go ahead and pause that device and send this episode episode on over. And remember, we will be having a follow-up uh, for KDP next week on the second part of my interview with her. And you're going to want to catch that. Believe me, she is absolutely incredible. Now, on to a little bit of a listener feedback. Brian G writes, oh, and just in case you're tuning in and you're thinking, I wonder if he'll read what I wrote him and you don't hear it. Well, it possibly may be because of what I mentioned on the beginning of this episode today, just in case you didn't catch it. And that is that my email went out for about five or six days, something like that. Once again, it has something to do with Google and something called MX files. And I don't know how it all happened, but it did. And we finally got all that resolved. And John at so J O H N at soberspeak.com is back in order. If you want to reach out to me or you want something to say about either KDP or the other speakers that we've had on or guests that we've had on, however you want to look at that. Um, if you want to reach out to me, you can. But nonetheless, if you're tuning in and you're thinking, I wonder if he's going to read what I wrote him, uh, you may have to resend that or you know, just reach out to me and ask me if I got it or something like that. Okay. Nonetheless, Brian G writes in and Brian says, John, I found sober speak during December. I was on vacation and I had to miss my regular me meeting. I've been sober for about 16 months. I needed a quote meeting between meetings and found sober speak. It is now my favorite podcast of all. Thank you, Brian. I just got through with Rich B from Ocean City, Maryland. What an awesome two episodes keep up the great work and you're right mr richby was fantastic to have on in fact i'm going to have a another episode from rich coming up here in the near future brian and uh, but thank you for your comments thanks for listening and thank you for your comments about rich b i appreciate it he's absolutely fantastic um okay so i was in the oh okay so I'm not going to read that one. It's something to do with me. <laughs> I don't want to read it. <laughs> uh, okay, so 
Now you're going, well, what is it? Okay, so here it is. I was in a, I looked in the Facebook group and uh, William posted in there and John, and, and he put a big post in there. It says, John M., I think you do a great job. And, and, and that's not why I'm reading this, right? Uh, I'm reading this because you guys are fantastic. He said, and I said, hey, you're very kind. It takes all of us. I'm just another bozo on the bus. And so, but the reason that William put this in there and the Facebook group, he says, uh, John, I heard somebody slam you on your podcast. And in the spirit of unity, I felt like telling you that I appreciate your service and I get a lot of the work you put into the AA community. And I just thought that was so kind. And then uh, Rainy uh, also kind of piled on there. And she says, I absolutely love your podcast, John M. And I and everyone shares, help keep me sober. Uh, uh, being on a small island, which is where Rainy lives, we get to support each other with our meetings. But I need one, uh, but I need for one to be here more I, for one, need to hear more shares, and I get that from Sober Speak Weekly. I get a hint of excitement each weekend when I know the episode is due out. <laughs> you truly make a difference for all involved in this wonderful podcast and the fellowship. Thank you so much. Thank you so very much in all big caps. Rainy E on the Isle of Wight in the United Kingdom and with the big British flag there. I love it. Um, so anyway, I, I started not to read that because I, I anyway, but, but I read it. There you go. That's the one I wasn't going to read. <laughs> and then here's another one from Steve. R. And thank you so much, Rainy and William. I appreciate you. Another one in the super secret Facebook group, Steve R posted. So we have several people in the secret Facebook group that kind of give, uh, they take something from the literature or, uh, you know, the AA literature usually, and then they give an, how they, they they quote the literature and then they give a little follow up, a little commentary. Like you know, if for those of you who know what daily reflections is, it's something very similar to that. So uh, we have Steve R. We have another guy I'm about to read, Jason. Uh, there's another gentleman named Rick that we have in there, Nelson. And I'm probably, oh, there's a Sean who posts in there on a consistent basis. They uh, Gary K. is in there and posts. And, and I know I'm, I'm missing somebody, and I apologize if, if I'm leaving you out. But uh, those are the first ones that came to mind. And uh, anyway, Steve R. posts in there, and he said, and this is a quote, from page 13 of the big book. And Steve R., I call him our Daily Reflections guy, uh, he is the one who always posts something from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And on page 13, it says, I humbly offered myself to God, as I then understood him, to do with me as he would. I placed myself unreservedly under his care and direction page 13 wow and that's from bill's story for those of you who don't know but anyway and he goes on and oh in fact he says i love how bill phrases this as i then understood good good point steve i i i did not think about that and he said 
And Steve says, my conception of God changes and grows and shrinks and evolves and blooms. Some days it's a cerebral understanding, other days more heartfelt. Some days I feel led, most days I feel more observed as uh, from a loving parent watching a son with pride and happiness. (laughs) My judgmental God is no more. God is love and I am loved. Step three for me, both, step three for me, both was an event and is a daily decision. And he always ends it up this way. Help one, save two, happy Saturday. And we have another gentleman in here. His name is Jason Z, and Jason's been posting a lot lately, pretty much on a daily basis, I think. And uh, he uh, quoted from page 35 of the book, and he says, AA is no success story in the ordinary sense of the world. It is a story of suffering transmuted under grace into spiritual progress, as Bill sees it. Uh, I'm sorry, that's from As Bill Sees It. My apologies. And then he goes on with some commentary, and he says, Suffering changed under grace into spiritual progress. In God's world, nothing is wasted. The broken state of my life in the summer of 2006 cracked my ego enough to allow the light of God and the suggestion of others who had been who had been my best interest at heart to take hold. The initial surrender on July 15th of 2006 has turned into a daily surrender to God's will, living in the moment while practicing acceptance, love, and tolerance have become refrains in my daily journey. That experience of suffering doesn't disappear with the first day of sobriety. Life on life's terms continues to deliver storms at times that can leave me feeling less than hopeful and sometimes downright depressed. Fortunately, experience has shown me that reliance on God and strong connections with my fellows will see me through these storms and that the experience will bring depth into my spiritual life. It also affords me the opportunities to share these experiences with others, letting them know that these storms can and will pass, and that there are healthier ways to coping with suffering that can yield some that can yield something positive in the past my best coping skills involved escaping temporar- temporarily with alcohol when i came to the suffering was still there and it had been joined by still more negative consequences from the previous night's oblivion well put there jason i don't have to live like that anymore thank god and neither does anyone else if they don't want to happy friday thank you jason and last but not least on the instagram anita sent a dm saying this she says john thank you i recently started listening to your podcast 
and joined your secret group. My boyfriend is an alcoholic and fights for sobriety every day. He's seven years sober. I want to be a support system for him, and I'm greedy for more information. Oh, Anita, that's fantastic. What a, what a great support system you must be. All right, everybody. That's another week of the podcast. Uh, we take this one step at a time. I'll hopefully be back for Katie P's sake next week so we can get her second episode on. May God bless you and keep you until then. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. Love you guys. Thanks for listening.